Oh, hold on. So I've got to do that again. So I had press record. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Anya. So fill us in and tell us a bit about how you became the author of the Supermum myth and, you know, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Um, yeah, so me, my journey into motherhood was, sounds a bit similar to yours. I kind of I think I was just a teeny bit smug about the idea of motherhood when I was pregnant because I um, I taught pregnancy Pilates and I was very kind of uh, aware of all the different issues that pregnant women would face physically, certainly. And I had taught, you know, hundreds of pregnant clients and felt like I kind of knew what pregnancy was all about. Um, and I just had this image that, that my motherhood journey was going to be fairly kind of calm and serene and I was going to be a bit of an earth mother and full of endless patience and ability to make kind of craft-based activities with a smile on my face. And uh, and I think when I actually entered into my physical journey of um, late pregnancy and into birth, that was my first sort of real obstacle in terms of like the expectations versus the reality. Um, and then after that, I think the first year of motherhood just sort of hit me like a truck. I was just completely overwhelmed by how my vision of motherhood just wasn't even remotely similar to the actual reality not in any way to suggest that I didn't love and adore my baby but it was just that I found it incredibly challenging and I think I hadn't realized that I was a perfectionist before going into motherhood I don't think that was you know possibly probably something that unites perfectionists that that we think we're not perfect um, and we're always striving for that that unattainable and I think because I felt like I wasn't doing a very good job in my own motherhood experience compared to other mums who had had for example a home birth and they were doing amazingly and they looked amazing according to all the sort of evidence that I gathered in my head and I had an emergency cesarean which ended quite traumatically my baby wasn't breathing when he came out and I had a very challenging physical recovery which then combined with sort of birth trauma related feelings just led to me being heightened and sort of heightened anxiety huge feelings of self-doubt crippling sense of inner critic constantly on the go in my brain like a little radio that wouldn't turn off and I didn't realize that all of these things were a on a spectrum of postnatal depression but b kind of also normal feelings that you can have in that scenario where you're in unprecedented situation of physical and emotional and sleep deprived challenge Um, and it's only gaining the strength through that to come out and sort of find my sort of thrive again that I realized that actually I wasn't alone and there were so many other women who were going through similar experiences you know maybe the detail was different but certainly having an expectation that motherhood is something that you can kind of manage in the same way that you manage your career or manage in the same way that you manage your social life all these things that we sort of get used to managing as as you know competent women and then when you realise that motherhood is one of the first times in your life where you properly have no real control over what actually happens and it's about learning how to ride with that lack of control or free, reframe how you feel about that sort of control element. Um, and I started doing, um, so I was teaching postnatal and pre, pre, prenatal Pilates and I started running um, mother's wellness evenings. So I sort of gathered together a tribe of women to sort of just share how everyone felt about motherhood and it became a very common theme that all these 
I, I thought highly competent, highly intelligent, wonderful, lovely women were all feeling this sense of not being good enough. And mm. it just became a really interesting thing to note that these women who I would never have said were feeling like they weren't achieving enough in motherhood or they weren't doing a good enough job in various aspects of their life around motherhood. Um, and everyone was on some level. So it just made me think, well, there's something that needs to be done here. <laughs> you know, we need mm, to kind yeah. of pick this apart a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so I just, um, I already had, because I was quite um, intrigued by my own physical recovery, I already had a book proposal um, in the ether, which was about postnatal depletion and trying to pick yourself up again physically and the emotional effects of um, a birth experience on your motherhood journey. And so I um, just sort of changed that around and made that. And because I was aware that anxiety seems to be something that suddenly became very prevalent in otherwise an emotionally balanced, or even if it's something that's occurred before motherhood, it can be really triggered even more after. Um, So I wanted to sort of look at how we can manage anxiety and the effects of guilt and overwhelm on your general mental and emotional landscape. Um, And so I was put in touch with this wonderful clinical psychologist, Dr. Rachel Andrew, and together we put together um, the proposal for the Superman myth, which ended up being a sort of, it's basically a toolkit of therapies. Initially, we were thinking about drawing from cognitive behavioural therapy um, all the way through. But if anyone's done CBT, a course of CBT themselves, or knows anything about CBT, it can be hugely transformational in terms of looking at your thought processes um but sometimes occasionally some people don't emotionally resonate with it as a therapy so we wanted it to be something where each therapy or each activity rather could draw from a therapy which if one activity doesn't resonate with you then the other you know another will so it's a collection of multi sort of a multi-therapy approach which draws from cbt and mindfulness and narrative therapy and um also EMDR, which is a therapy recommended for birth trauma um, uh-huh. or tra- post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and yeah, so that's how the Superman myth came about. It's sort of looking at my own experience and then gradually realising that I wasn't alone in that experience and and thinking, okay, so how can we equip women with the tools to not have to, not that you won't feel, won't um, uh, you know, you won't not necessarily avoid feeling the effects of guilt, overwhelm and, uh, you know, sort of hyper awareness of your how you are doing in your motherhood experience but it's more about learning to observe those feelings and just sort of balance them out by looking at what you are doing as well because <laughs> I think that's what we generally aren't very good at as mums or as women generally sort of taking into account what we're doing well. How do you think that we change this because at, at the moment obviously when you become a mum you discover that um you discover that it, it's much more of a challenge than the romantic view that we have maybe told ourselves yeah the, the difficulty for me as a hypnotherapist is if we educate mums who are let's say pregnant so their their focus is now on, on the baby whereas yeah. women before they're pregnant aren't going to be entertaining what life might be like after a baby yeah. but if we were to educate the pregnant mums and say look that there are these obstacles and trials and tribulations that await technically we're setting them up to to uh, to assume 
that there is sort of negative things yeah. awaiting. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, it is quite important for us to set them up with a pos- positive approach. But equally, and a lot of mums say, I never knew yeah. any of this. So there's that, oh, you don't want to pop, you know, pop the bubbles. So what what can we do about that? How do you see us changing? And, and where's the balance in educating pregnant women for what what lies ahead? Or is it just a case of you just offer them this help once yeah, they've had their baby and find their yeah. feet? It's a really, really tricky one. And this is something that I think about a lot. I talk to birth practitioners with a lot. I, I run a workshop for pregnant women um, called Your Confident Mother, Mother Morphosis. Um, and it is exactly this scenario. It's basically kind of looking at the emotional terrain or the physical terrain both you know because I feel particularly in motherhood but in life generally your mental and your physical well-being is inextricably linked certainly motherhood you know the, the, the challenge of physical of um, pregnancy and birth on your body um, takes its huge toll the trouble is there is simply no way that you can understand what it's like until you are in it so it's a bit like talking about an exotic foreign country you can kind of mm. imagine what it's like but it's only when you touch down on that place and you smell the air and you look at the palm trees that can you actually really have a sensory full awareness so it's kind of like giving the guidebook (laughs) and sort of enabling you to at least understand what might be there without promoting fear about it because I think that's a really important thing you have to get that balance between suggesting that it's all going to be much worse than you imagine because that's not an important it's not a very useful way of framing it but it's also not true I think the The fundamental thing that mums have always said to me and that I certainly felt myself is that there's there's no point in listening to horror stories or or people telling you, oh, it's all going to be a bit, you know, it's all going to be hard from now on. Because you can't describe adequately how hard it might be to a mum who's never experienced it yet. But equally, you really can't describe the momentous upside of it too. You know, all of those wonderful and it does sound like a cliche, but those magical sides of motherhood, which you just simply, even if you love babies and you love giving babies a cuddle, it's not the same as your own baby in your arms. So I think we have to manage that without try- giving people the tools, but without scaring them, but also understanding that, you know, you're not going to fully appreciate this until you're in it. However, it's kind of like, learning where the lifeboats are on your ship (laughs) you may never need them but you need to know where they are so I always uh, in this workshop I do I um, just give people a very simple set of tools which they can then will make sense when they're in it and they then have them there at their disposal so they know okay actually this makes sense to me now that I might feel overwhelmed and I might need to drink a glass of water I might need to like thinking setting up really simple steps that you can just know what to expect in your day-to-day and have little kind of lifeboats mini lifeboats throughout your day um and just being allowing women to understand that there may well be days or, or moments in their day that they find that they really struggle with and that's okay but it doesn't mean that every day is going to be a struggle or every yeah. you know so I think it's but you're right. I think it's a really it's a real challenge. It's one of the biggest challenge in antenatal education that you can't I think you can't dismiss the fact that there are challenges. And unfortunately, up until now, that's probably been the case with a lot of us going into motherhood that we just simply 
didn't understand the side of motherhood, which was the depletion, the physical depletion, the tiredness, how that affects your affects your emotional responses. And you can't under you can't imagine how tired you're going to be as well, because you know I think what we kind of go into motherhood thinking, well, I've done all nighters before, I've been out partying all night, or I've worked all night, and then I've been all right. You know, it's the it's the ongoing. Oh, actually, no, I, you mean I can't go to bed again tonight because I've got to be up all night with my baby. You know that realization and that physical reality really hits deep. And I think, you know, there is no way you can really prepare yourself for that until you're in it. But just knowing little ways of pulling yourself out of how that might then affect you is really important. So a sort of, you know, a kind of vitality pack to keep and know where it is. And then when it makes sense to you, you then have it at your disposal rather than then having to scramble around thinking, I, what do I do now? How do I find, you know, my vitality again? How do I, how do I find my identity again postnatally? Just understanding that actually these might be things that may resonate with you postnatally and these are tools that you can, you know, um, that might help you lift you out. But it's an interesting point because someone said to me the other day, um, would you recommend the Superman myth to, for pregnant, you know, or should I give it to my pregnant friend? And a lot of people have said to me that they've given it to, to pregnant friends of theirs. And I was like, that's an interesting thing. I... I love the idea of it being read post uh, pre motherhood, but I I think that it won't make sense and really until you're in it and you kind of think, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. It's like reading the guidebook of that exotic country. Once again, you you know when you're actually in situ and you're like, oh yeah, now I know where that place is, and I, that makes a lot more sense to me. Um, yeah. Do you think this is a symptom of? modern society do you think that in other cultures where you know they're still living in tribes for example that they're doing the comparison and oh she's a super mom or is this is this representative of how we live in in a modern western society i think without doubt it's definitely it's definitely a symptom of the modern possibly even urban ways um world but certainly and it's i think it's getting worse with social media because you suddenly have so many more options, so many more opinions, which, you know, I mean, it's overwhelming the amount of information that we're taking in every day anyway. And if you're then um, comparing to, to your own situation to 25 other situations to a hundred other situations, whereas in an, in a tribal or a community a village setup, you would only know the people that you know and that you see. And yes, there may well be, you know, humans, are built to compare ourselves to each other in our brain that's kind of our survival mechanism sort of am I stronger than that person am I gonna be able to run away from a saber-toothed tiger faster than that person um but we certainly wouldn't do it to the same scale and I think and also I think that you know ironically now that we live in bigger communities and cities we're more lonely than ever and I think new motherhood in a modern um world where we don't have that village set up you don't necessarily have family all, all around you you don't have you know your neighbor come popping in for a cup of tea necessarily even um we end up feeling incredibly isolated and using our phones as that link to the outside world which is a very double-edged sword because your phone is this amazing you know sort of portal to this wonderful land of information and connection and, and networking and solidarity but it is also endless supplies of anxiety and overwhelm um through social media and sort of compare and despair 
So I do think, and also I think the modern, you know, in, in our modern world now, we have come through decades of women trying to, you know, absolutely legitimately want to be be viewed on a parity with men and to have all the opportunities that men have in the workplace. But we've taken all that on without there being a sort of simultaneous release of the the, the, the sort of stereotypical female roles to onto men as well so we're taking on like twice as much load but without the structural support to help who then takes up the slack there so while we're juggling that in the modern world it's always going to be a tussle because right now at this moment there's never we don't really talk about dads in the same way we don't you don't hear dads you know famous dads being interviewed saying how does your work affect your your fatherhood you know it just doesn't come up whereas famous women are always questioned on their childcare or do they feel guilty for going back to work? Um, so all of these things are loaded on women in the modern world in a way that just didn't really feature. You know, it, it doesn't feature in in tribal landscapes in the same way. I mean, it's there, there have been um, studies in Malaysian villages which show that the symptoms that we sort of regard as symptoms of postnatal depression as we know it simply don't exist in villages where postnatally women are looked after by the mm. women of the village and for 40 days they're massaged every day their baby is held by a community of women not just you know and brought to the to the mother when she needs to feed the baby they're just they're the same kind of emotional and mental health issues just simply don't come up in the same way so it is definitely something that we have sort of created in our, in our modern world which is why we need those specific tools to to help us kind of work our way through them. We're not necessarily going to remove the obstacles. We're just going to sort of work in, you know, it's a little navigation tool to get around them. One of the things that I found as a new mum and you talk about in the book is this, as a mum, you observe the raw emotion that a child um, shows, which is obviously representative of the raw emotion that we often felt in our childhood and and it can bring up a lot of a lot of things for a mother and also a father and what is interesting is in society there is this notion of women you know if they're over emotional or they're you know angry or that it that it's not okay and actually isn't it time that we ended this oversensitive over emotional stigma that mums particularly get labeled with gosh yes I mean you know I, I always say because when I you know so often you'll hear mums saying oh I'm just being over I'm just being neurotic I'm just being oversensitive and actually I really try to to shout it loud from the rooftops that being emotional is your power you know it's your we're we're offered this this amazing um, evolutionary tool that our brain adapts to motherhood by making us more heightened aware of hazard and danger to our potential danger to our baby's life. So that is why we're always on hyper alert wanting to kind of pounce or to protect. And it makes us, you know, having a baby makes you feel much more deeply. You've had a sort of, it's almost like you've had a, a layer of skin stripped and you're much more absorbent to all the potential kind of stresses and hazards in order to so you can act as a buffer for your baby and I think that not being sort of accepted or honored as being a wonderful thing is a is a huge tragedy because it means that you constantly think oh god I'm just being a nightmare when actually you're being amazing you're reacting to this heightened um, situation stimulus that you're in 
the trouble is it does as you say because because we have this physical change in our brain and so we're reacting hormonally to all the massive turbulent changes we've experienced during pregnancy or even if you um, haven't carried your baby yourself you still have that sort of you tap into that hormonal changes when you're with your baby all the time and generally your partner or the, the husband or your partner just isn't doesn't have the same kind of physiological response to that to that um to have it the mothering response is very profound and it often happens that for example if your baby is teething or up all night or you're worried because they've got a fever you might be on that kind of heightened alert sort of stage but then your partner maybe comes home from work or you know hasn't been with the baby all day and the baby seems fine so they're like oh they're fine you're just being silly those kind of interactions between couples can be incredibly damaging if you don't on some level realize that actually we are we have changed our responses have changed we are no longer sort of able in the same way when you've got a small baby to react as rationally as you might have done in a work situation for example because it's completely different it's a react it's you know it's a it's a whole body mind body emotional hormonal response that you're having and i think that's if i could do anything i would be i would inject all women with the sense of this being a power and a positive thing and a, something that's really valuable rather than something that is depleting them of their worth in some way because it's just shocking how we talk about women being kind of you know neurotic mums when actually it's you're being a supercharged sure. amazing mum <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's it really yeah I think it's it's quite damaging when we undervalue or devalue that emotional response now, now, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, be right, right that, to, to not, not discuss, discuss mum guilt. Yeah. You, you describe it brilliantly as it hanging around like your weird uncle at Christmas. <laughs> Why do you think that dads don't carry the same guilt that we as mums do? And, and certainly before I had kids, I, I have to say, I didn't really know what guilt was. Yeah. And on, I think it was probably day one or even two, I was like, oh, this is what <laughs> guilt is. Yeah. I get it now. Yeah. I mean, some I think some women do have that sense of pervasive guilt all their lives, and, and then then it becomes heightened during, during mother uh, when they have a baby. Otherwise, other women are able to sort of not experience it until suddenly there's this huge trigger. Um, I think it's just that in terms of the mums versus dads thing. I think the expectations of mums that we place on ourselves, but also that generally that society places on mums, are just greater in in terms of being there fully and properly with their child but also being fully and properly at work <laughs> so that we can't really win there are too many avenues to fail when it comes to motherhood and guilt um and I think that the key skill that we need to sort of um develop in ourselves is an awareness of what is productive guilt and what is guilt that you just need to take off as if it's like a heavy fur coat that you're wearing in a hot room which we often I think most of us wear the heavy fur coat guilt quite a lot um and it's just that sense of questioning every choice that you're making mm. or every decision that you've made or it, it, we we question everything we think we're not doing enough we're looking constantly at what we're not achieving as opposed to even vaguely looking at what we might have been able to achieve and that's where guilt sort of thrives in that in that sort of space of what am I not doing well enough and so in, a, in order to make it productive guilt, I always sort of say to people, look at the guilt, label it, really look at the detail of it. What is it exactly that's making you feel like you have made committed a wrongdoing? Because that's what guilt is all about. 
real proper guilt is a sense of going against your core values, doing something that's profoundly damaging and wrong, for which you need to make up, you know, do do the make make up for the damages and, and sort of right that wrong by actively changing something or doing something in recompense. Now mum guilt is that sense generally of just always not doing a good enough job. And we feel guilty about everything, about feeding, about sleeping patterns, about discipline, about working, about not working, about you know, having and going to the loo on your own when your baby might be crying, having a shower, all these things we manage to hook a bit of guilt onto. And actually, when it comes to that kind of guilt, you have to just assess, have I done any damage? Is there, am I going against a core value? If the answer is no, then just learn to, it's quite, it takes quite a lot of discipline, but just choose not to feel guilty about it. And I think because we're so used to being swept along with emotion or, or societal expectation or other people's opinions, it's quite hard to actually advocate for yourself and think, actually, I don't need to feel guilty for that and choose not to. It takes yeah. a lot of work. It takes quite a lot of discipline and, and it is quite hard. It's not an easy option necessarily. It's much easier just to listen to the guilt gremlin and allow it to sit on your shoulder constantly. But actually, if you're not doing anything wrong, <laughs> then don't feel guilty. I think there are, the productive guilt side is, for example, if um, I can give you an example from my own experience, when I was writing The Supermom Myth, in fact, um, I had to, for kind of logistical reasons, choose a childcare option for Freddie, which fit in with Morris's school run. So it had to be that I could drop them at the same time vaguely and that it was convenient. I kind of needed it to be convenient for me, which... Mm. Um, and the unfortunate side effect of that is for whatever reason, Freddie just didn't settle. He was just really unhappy. And every single time I dropped him off, he was just doing it two days a week. But every single time he was fully, fully distraught. And it lasted for months. Like normally, you know, you think, oh, it's normal for them to feel like this when I sort of mm. ripping my heart out when I leave him. But, <laughs> um, but it went on for a good three months and he wasn't, it wasn't abating. So I just said to myself, okay, I felt horribly guilty, but I knew that I had this time frame that I had to write the book. And if he wasn't going to this childcare situation, I just wouldn't be able to write the book. And I knew that what my deadline was, it was an extra three months. And I knew I made a sort of list that I knew he was safe. I knew he was cared for. Yes, he wasn't very happy when I left him, but I knew that he wasn't in any danger and he was in a very safe and loving environment even if he wasn't very happy in that environment so I made the choice to keep him there for the three months while I um, wrote the book and then I would take him and I would move him away and I chose to not feel guilty about that because I was choosing the action at the end of it so I when once I had finished writing the book and honestly, every single time I dropped him off for six months, he was just so unhappy. Mm. And I then moved him and I moved into a little preschool that was two hours every morning and he was so much happier. And it made me feel, I, I didn't, I choose not to feel guilty about him having that experience for six months because I know that it was right for what we had to do and he was fine in the end. And so it's yeah. kind of looking at what you can do to proactively sort of do something about that guilt and if you can't do anything, then somehow make a sort of list of what the positives are. So if it's, for example, that your your child doesn't love after school club and they sort of seem a bit unhappy, 
make a list. If you really can't change that, you have to work and you, or whatever reason you can't take them out of after school club, then think, well, what is he learning or what are they, what are the benefits from after school club? You know, socialising, he's having time to sort of spend time with his reading or, or things that you can find a positive in a situation if you know that you can't change that situation and then unhook the guilt. And I think that's, you know, guilt is an, kind of an inevitable part of being a mum. You you know, you do have mm. to think about someone else much more than we ever have in our lives before. But at the same time, there is, you know, there's too much guilt that you can just be swallowed whole by. And actually you need to actively choose which guilt you're going to act on, choose which guilt you're going to feel <laughs> and then yeah. just let the other, you know, just let it go. Don't let anyone else make you feel guilty. That's the key as well. Cause you know, I, I, have you ever read a lovely um, column from Fern Cotton, which she described it brilliantly. She said, um, don't catch guilt balls. So if someone throws you a guilt ball, just choose not to catch it. Put your arms behind your back and just let it. Yeah. And I was like, that's brilliant. I really love that because you can get guilt thrown at you from so many different angles. And if it's not yeah. productive guilt that's worth, that doesn't go against your own core values, maybe someone else is slightly annoyed by, by what you're doing. That's fine. That's their problem. You need to learn that sort of self, just advocate for yourself in your own mind and think, I'm doing this for this reason and it's okay. And I and I think what you say is really valuable, especially because mom guilt can be so prevalent in journey through motherhood, and it is. It's taking that active role in going. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna change this because I'm either gonna choose to accept that I'm gonna be burdened by it, or I'm gonna actively choose to change this. And I think that's there is a choice here. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's really important. Sometimes we just feel like everything is inevitable and there's no choice, particularly I find w- with some of the women that I work with that um, with things like childcare and work, everything feels when you make a decision, it feels like a final decision that's going to be that way forever. And it feels like once you're in a situation, it's incredibly hard to pull yourself out. But actually just realizing that you have a choice, you can, you can change something. It doesn't, you know, I think that's what we need to work sort of it's a self-confidence thing isn't it so an ability to think I do have the ability to change this I just need to do it um which is you know it's challenging it's a difficult thing to do I'm not saying it's easy obviously um but it's it's so much better than just living in this kind of white noise of guilt telling you that you're doing the wrong thing constantly which is not fun (laughs) yeah and you know essentially your message and my message to mothers and women as a whole is it's good enough to be good enough. And I think that's where that comparison comes in is we keep thinking, oh, well, she's doing a brilliant job. Oh, well, she's making cakes and she's turning up looking (laughs) fabulous. And the reality is, is that we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You know, they can look like the swan swimming on the lake, but underneath their feet are kicking ferociously trying to stay afloat. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, uh, something that works really well is because those are automatic thoughts, aren't they? And particularly like on the school run or whenever you see a mum that, you know, her hair looks lovely, you're like, oh, she's, you know, she's got better hair and she's obviously got more money than me. Or, you know, you immediately loop into different assumptions based on this envy or this comparison of some way that makes you feel bad, bad about yourself. And so uh, I think the key thing is to observe that. And so whenever I, it doesn't stop the automatic thoughts necessarily, but whenever I feel myself feeling that yucky comparison, I just 
maybe some days when I'm feeling less resilient, I, I will lean into it a little bit too much. But so, but mostly I'm able to think, OK, that's comparison. And I try and label it as such and just give myself that little buffer. So rather than being totally swept away by that feeling of not good enough inside yourself because someone else has better hair or nicer shoes or a better job or whatever it is that's triggering you on that day. Um, just being able to pull yourself back is so valuable. And the important, it's really interesting, actually. Um, I've been finding, interestingly, I love Instagram for so many reasons. It's been such a brilliant connection to women. It's been a great way of just sort of, you know, finding a lovely community of maternal, mental and physical wellness. But what I found recently is because I've been on Instagram a bit more than I used to be, because I've sort of built up more networks and I'm chatting to people a lot more, I'm finding that comparison trap is just catching me much more and and drawing me in, so really hooking me into my phone. And I found that I would be checking my phone in the morning. I keep my phone in the kitchen overnight, which I recommend everyone does anyway, not have the phone in your bedroom. But in the morning, I would have a little, the first thing I did was to, you know, sort of open my phone, look at Instagram. And sometimes the first, therefore, emotion I felt, excuse me, was, oh God, I'm not good enough. And it was, and what's really, and every single day I did this, like, you know, like sort of moth to a flame. It was really kind of pulling me in. And so I made a conscious choice last week um, for various reasons. I've got a lot of work on at the moment and I simply can't allow myself to be distracted by Instagram. But I thought I'm just going to delete the app and see how that feels. And yes, there's a huge sense of fear of missing out and like missing the connections because I chat to people loads on Instagram and I'm missing, you know, I'm like, oh, what's everyone doing without me? But at the same time, I've really noticed that I haven't had that feeling, that yucky feeling. Um, and it all, you know, of course, you get that comparison feeling triggered by people that you meet on the street and friends and, you know, people you work with. But what I was finding was that the prevalent feeling of my day was being swept away in Instagram by that feeling of someone being more popular than me or someone have, looking better or all that stuff that goes on in your brain. Um and I wasn't able in the same way because it was so, because I was spending so much time on it because I, I wasn't able to employ that sort of little buffer of going, this is comparison. And it, I felt so much clearer for the last week as a result. It's really interesting. I haven't had that sense of like, oh, I'm not good enough. I mean, I have, you know, in the normal way, everyone has. Sort of yeah. But I haven't, it hasn't brought me down like an anchor, you know, like yeah. dropping. Um, so I really recommend just noticing, choosing to, observe what are the what are your triggers for comparison and if it is social media proactively do something if you feel that yucky feeling listen to it and actually turn your phone off you know put it away it sounds Stop torturing yourself exactly it's what we, we really do don't we we can kind of observe ourselves going scroll 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 even though you're feeling those feelings you kind of jump right in like a soft play area <laughs> like um and it's yeah it's not healthy but it's choose, you need to choose to overturn that a little bit. Even just, you know, I totally will go back to Instagram, obviously. But now that I've sort of really noticed how much less, how basically how my day no longer starts with a sense of, Ugh, it starts with a, put your shoes on with my kids. You know? <laughs> it doesn't start with a sense of like failing compared to some other Instagrammer who is doing something better than me. It's um, It's just regular life stuff, trying to get my children dressed and stuff, you know which is a bit more manageable when you're not thinking already that you're not good enough. Um, because essentially what this is about is you've mentioned the feelings of not not good enough, which 
having worked with so many women is is so prevalent and is more often than not the very deep rooted belief that they have acquired at a very young age Um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily big situations in their childhood but but early experiences that have created this belief that's taken them through all the way to adulthood but essentially this is about having confidence with yourself and the job that you're doing going I'm doing a good job and I'm trusting my instinct as a mother and a woman. And I think the thing about instinct is really interesting because I don't know about you, but I think we assume and you're kind of the the, the maternal instinct is painted as this kind of, you know, Mona Lisa, Mother Teresa, you know, Lady Madonna idea of innate serenity and innate knowledge of what it's like to be a mum. And actually I when you actually become a mum for the first time you're probably in shock whatever your birth experience was like you're in this kind of like ah, heightened state of whether it's euphoria and shock or just euphoria or whatever it is it's a heightened kind of landscape of emotion and then you're just thrown into this sleep deprived world of oh my god what am I going to do and so the idea of instinct is almost then clouded because you're sort of on hyper alert survival mode and I think then is when we start to go I thought I'd have this instinct that I'd know exactly what to do and yet I'm totally flummoxed by how on earth you're supposed to change a nappy and I put that grow bag on the wrong way round and you kind of start questioning yourself because you don't know the detail of mothering in terms of the duties that you need to do and there are many or learning how to breastfeed you know when no one you you think that that's going to come naturally and actually it's incredibly hard natural thing Um, And I think for me, the the idea of instinct comes with confidence and experience. The more you get to know your baby, the more you kind of adapt and tune into your baby. But the trouble is we cloud that by looking for expert opinion online constantly. And that's, again, where phones are amazing and yet quite damaging or, you know, books, whatever it is. You know, there was a study quite recently that... um, uh, postnatal depressive symptoms were higher often in women who were following routine uh, following guide guidebooks that suggest very strict routine because if your baby isn't one of those routiney babies you then feel like you're doing the wrong thing and you're getting it wrong and your baby's getting it wrong as opposed to maybe the book doesn't really know your baby <laughs> sort of we yeah. look at the book and think I'm not doing the right thing and actually it's the book has no idea what your baby needs um so the idea of instinct we don't take as a kind of raw emotional face-to-face thing anymore we think it's just going to come and happen and then I'll look into a book to tell me what to do whereas I feel like instinct grows over time and when you feel confident when you're not having those clouded you know, seven million opinions clouding your judgment, then you can tap into your instinct a bit more. But it actually involves being a bit, having that clarity, having that sense of, okay, yeah, actually, I I feel like I'm doing an okay job here. And the trouble is, you know, the mothering modern landscape doesn't enable women to feel that confidence because we're constantly being alarmed by different headlines on a social media post that suggests that this will be damaging your baby or you've done this to damage your baby during pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, too, too many opinions definitely makes you question your instinct. And so the instinct thing, yes, I believe we all have that. We are, you know, we are human an- uh, animals like every other animal who has the same maternal instinct. We all want to protect our young, nurture, soothe, soften, connect. But we look to other people's opinions 
far too much because we're just you know tired and scared and worried and ultimately we want to get back to our normal life in inverted commas and <laughs> we want to get back to sleeping well and so all these things don't aren't really compatible with a newborn which is necessarily just up all the time and needing feeding but because it's so incompatible with modern life we look to these experts to to help us and then that means that we don't there's no space for our instinct to really kick in and I think if you know lots of women have said to me that that was a big shock for them that they didn't have this amazing maternal instinct suddenly and it's sort of like well I feel like maternal instinct is something that's a little seed inside you but that seed needs water and sunshine, water and sunshine. And unless you're giving it that, then it's just going to remain a seed and you're just going to throw mm. other seeds of like yeah. opinions in, unless you actually nurture it. And confidence is the one, it's the kind of sunshine, I think, that kind of sense of I'm going to listen to what I feel like I need to do. And I think that's where mindfulness and meditation comes in brilliantly. But what, you know, even if you can simply stop and take a breath and listen to what your mind is telling you a little bit or listen to your heart center rather than scrolling on your phone for an opinion that's when we'll actually tap in a little bit more to that innate sense of knowing what you want to do you know what your gut is telling you to do what your baby or your toddler is telling you what to do but I think modern life doesn't really make space you know doesn't honor that kind of actually maybe listen to yourself rather than going online to look at what some expert tells you to do and i, and I think what's really important is to to let go of this like we've talked about the the judgment of oneself and our abilities or inabilities to be a mum because children must see that parenting and and parents aren't perfect and that we're actually real and we have emotions and it's actually showing them how we pick ourselves up and how we can be real and not perfect so that they can they can lead you know see the example being set absolutely and i think it's interesting isn't it because i say this a lot and i think we say it in the book that you know you are always modeling behavior for your baby for your child whether you like it or not you are sort of they they will look at what you do a lot more than what you say often and when I've said this to women before you know you're you're modeling that behavior they say oh don't say that because that's going to make me feel even more guilty and it's like well it's not to make you feel guilty it's just to make you aware that actually you know we do want to imprint this ability to understand the full emotional spectrum of being a human and then also understand how you bring that into balance so yes it's fine to be angry if your toddler has just thrown paint all over your new sofa, <laughs> that's an absolutely human, normal reaction. And it would be weird if you didn't display that emotion, but also then explain afterwards, oh, mummy was a bit cross then because that, you know, did you understand, do you see why that made me angry? I was, and just sort of explaining and, you know, embracing the full energy of an angry outburst but then coming down from it and explaining why and apologizing if it was you know if you if you know that you were at the end of your tether and you shouted and it wasn't really appropriate um like last night for example I was teaching a class at eight o'clock and my husband was out um so I did solo bedtime and I knew I had to my clients were arriving I have a home studio and it was 20 to 8 and Freddie my littlest still wasn't in bed and and he was like I want to read another story and I was like and I found this kind of 
anxiety, sort of anger bubbling up. And it, I knew that it was anger at my goals being blocked because mm. I had to leave their room in five minutes time and I didn't want to be flustered when my clients arrived. And so I was like, oh, and then I thought, oh, okay, I need to own this and know that this isn't appropriate to shout at. It's not his fault that he wants another story. So I was, I tr- it's, it's being able to, you're never going to necessarily stop yourself in the moment from feeling that anger or, you know, that emotion that makes you feel guilty and tricky, but you can label it and, and show it's not something to be ashamed of or it's not something to then ignore and not talk about at all um sorry my that was a ping from my my laptop because um <laughs> even though my phone is silent unfortunately you, you kept someone wants you i'm so sorry this is actually my husband's laptop and it's a whatsapp group that he's on i really apologize let's embrace the let's embrace the imperfection of that shall we Exactly, um, it was meant to be. But, yeah, but yeah. So I think that's the thing, especially with anger, that we become very ashamed of anger, and we try then to suppress it, and then you get sort of we tr- we don't like our toddlers getting angry, and we tell them that's not okay. But then they sort of think, well, hang on, mummy was angry, and you know we need to make it make sense for them that these are human emotions that you will experience in life. You know, nothing is going to stop you from having these these you know, we label these emotions negative, but they're just emotions. They're just natural responses to circumstances. So we need to equip our children for ways of bringing yourself out of that emotion if it is taking over your entire body and it's feeling scary. So sometimes anger can feel scary. Sometimes, you know, guilt can be over overwhelming. Being able to notice and label emotions is really, really key for, for children because also, you know, as you say, this is informing and really kind of building their their puzzle of how they're going to deal with emotions in their adult life. And I think we we kind of underestimate that as mums or as parents. Sorry, not just mums. Um, that if we're giving mixed messages about emotions, then your child will be absorbing it at a really pure level. Um, that kind of you know they were then going to emulate in their own emotional responses. So it's really important just to be a bit aware of your triggers and your responses and then just you know uh, be be open about that you know like rather than dismiss it and just not talk about it let's talk about why mommy was upset because you threw your you know shoes out the window or something like that so (laughs) (laughs) oh Anya thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and tools and helping society slowly but surely get rid of this concept of being a perfect woman and mum. We're all doing our best. And good enough is good enough. This is about being conscious and awake and taking ownership of our emotions and tackling them head on, something I've dedicated the past few years to continue my growth and my growth for the sake of my children. You've shared so many tools today, and I know that my women and listeners will will absolutely thrive with what you've shared. So thank you. And here's to helping more women and mothers across the globe. Thank you, lovely Anya. Thanks for having me. Pleasure.